what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have touched with our hands, this we declare to you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. So this is the Sunday that we remember doubting Thomas's coming to faith. That means that Eeyore must make an appearance. <laughs> so Thomas is the Eeyore of the disciples. Remember, he's the one who can't see anything good ever. When Jesus says, we're going to Jerusalem, Eeyore does, okay, let's go to Jerusalem and die. And wonder of wonders, Jesus comes back from the dead and graciously shows his side and his hands. And Eeyore comes to, to believe that he really is God. Now, I'm less fascinated today with Eeyore than I am with Winnie the Pooh. I'm fascinated today with the one who's telling the story. John, the gospel writer, is who I think Pooh is. Stay with me for a second. We, we don't think of Pooh as being very sharp. He says, I have stuffing for brains. And he speaks very simply and very slowly. But he always seems to find the honey. And everything that he says winds up being true. You're braver than you believe, stronger than you seem, and smarter than you think. This is John. Very simple words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Very simple words communicating incredibly deep truths. He writes so that we may believe. Now, by the time John writes his first epistle, this, oh yeah, and who did Christopher Robin love the best? Pooh. John is called the beloved. He had a special relationship, a special insight into Jesus' life. And by the end of, of John's life, this beloved disciple has become an elder statesman of the church. And he's having to deal with churches where there's some people that are having some challenges theologically and, and ethically and in terms of their own self-understanding. There are people in John's churches who can't bring themselves to acknowledge that the divine Christ and the human Jesus are actually one and the same person. They seem to have an idea that there was a human being, Jesus, and the divine Christ briefly or temporarily inhabited him, and then because God can't die and because God can't be involved with sin, the divine Christ had to depart before Jesus' death. And that's why later in 1 John, John says, you must confess that Jesus is the Christ. Now, that wasn't just an old idea, that's been a modern idea as well. And so many people have a hard time bringing Christ and Jesus together. A hundred years ago, Albert Schweitzer wrote the book, 
the quest of the historical Jesus, in which he expressed a 20th century version of this same problem. Albert Schweitzer has a, a, a totally human Jesus dying on the cross in agony and disappointment that he has not forced God's hand to bring in the kingdom. And that Jesus, that historical Jesus' bones are still in a grave somewhere in Palestine. But then, suddenly, miraculously, the metaphorical Christ of faith rises in the hearts of his followers. John would have none of that. And that's why he writes, what we have heard and what we have seen with our eyes and what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That's what we proclaim. The first thing he wants us to know is that faith is just so much empty gas without the genuineness of the incarnation and the physicality of Christ's return from the dead. It's clearly not a ghost whom John has seen and touched. It's the living God who has assumed flesh like ours. That's why our worship here is both word and symbol coming together. Now, I'm, I'm profoundly grateful for the many years that I spent in churches where worship was word, 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 singing long sermons. I'm glad I had years of taking notes for 30 and 40 minute sermons. I'm, I'm glad that that's, that's in me. But I'm, I'm glad that a, a time came in my life when I got introduced to, well, you people and what goes on here. I'm grateful for the water. I'm grateful and I need the bread and the wine and the incense. I'm such a horrible prayer. I need to have this physical sense of the prayers rising into God's presence. And I need the passing of the peace. I need the embrace of my brothers and sisters, even though some of that we're having to fast from for a while. It's a fast. It's not, it's not the meal. And for, especially for those of you who are, who are worshiping with us at home and who long to be here, long to taste the bread and the wine, long to, long to embrace, long to be with your brothers and sisters, just long, longing even to have the physicality of our, our voices rising in praise. Thank you for your love for the brothers and sisters that make you ready to show love just in staying away, but in being with us in worship. Thank you so very much. But brothers and sisters, fasting is not a permanent diet. I had a friend just this week explained to me that he, uh, all the way through Lent, he only drinks water. And he only drinks water so that after Easter comes, everything else tastes so delicious from the, from the, the, the the iced tea, to the coffee, to, well, he didn't share everything that he drinks. But it all tastes, it all tastes so much better for a fasting because we know, we know that there's a full diet. And I'm so grateful that an incarnate Christ has come, not a ghost. Secondly, John says it's important to uh, confess. Now, the theological word for the first term, for the first point, was incarnation. 
The poo version of that was, Jesus isn't a ghost. The second point has the theological church term, confession, and the poo version of that would be, you don't have to pretend you're perfect. The second thing John wants us to know is that our faith is just so much delusional self-talk without the blunt confession of our sinfulness, without due regard for our entrapment in sin, all of us. The tendency to want to justify ourselves and to manipulate others. We are, as John says, walking in darkness. And we lie and do not do what is true. I know that John would heartily embrace the words that emerged in the church from the fourth century on, the Jesus prayer, based on the Synoptic Gospels. Breathe in, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, breathe out, have mercy on me, a sinner. Breathe in, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, breathe out, have mercy on me, a sinner. For these seven weeks of Easter, you'll notice that we don't kneel and we don't confess our sins. It's all, all of that is to say that we get that forgiveness of sins is what Easter brings to us. Even so, what makes us so grateful for the benefit of Easter is the recognition is that is only by a mercy that we have not merited that that mercy comes to us. So John would urge you and me, breathe in. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, breathe out. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Which takes us to the third point. The theological term is propitiation or atoning sacrifice. The poo version of that would be, God's not mad at you anymore. Those who say they have no sin and therefore do not need to confess their sin delude themselves about themselves and they're missing out on an essential element of the Bible's storyline. The world's desperate need for an atoning sacrifice, as our translation puts it, or a propitiation, as a number of other translations put it. Listen to these last words from our epistle reading for today. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, for he is the atoning sacrifice or the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now the Greek term that John uses here is helos mos. Now the root for that word is hilaros. We get the word hilarity from it, we get the name Hillary from it, and it means cheerful, joyful, merry. And what John means by referring to the cross this way is the, is the fact that on the cross, Christ the God-man has turned away God's wrath by satisfying the hard demands of justice. 
Yes, the demands of the very God who sent his son in love because he loved the world and did not want to see their destruction. For as Cranmer's prayer so nicely puts it, our heavenly Father's property is always to have mercy. And the death of the incarnate one on the cross is the means by which the God of mercy brings his mercy to bear on our lives. And so the term helosmos carries the sense of turning the divine judge's righteous frown into a welcoming smile. Think of it this way, change of scene. It's as though when Christ offers himself as Helos Moss, propitiating sacrifice for the world, the judge, the righteous judge, comes down from behind the bench, takes off his robes, embraces us as Heavenly Father, takes us home, seats us at his table, adopts us as daughters and sons, as favored daughters and sons, and bequeaths to us his lavish estate. What John and Thomas as well, what John heard, what John saw with his eyes, what John touched with his hands was this joy giving, life creating, love inspiring truth. Jesus is alive and he's not a ghost. You and I don't have to pretend a perfection that we don't have. And God's not mad at you anymore. Come to this table today. Taste with your own tongue. See with your own eyes. Touch with your own hands. That God loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Taste and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen.